Blackwater, The Wagner Group, Executive Outcomes, The Flying Tigers, The Swiss Guard, The White Company, The Knights Templar, The Varangian Guard, Clercus of Sparta, Pythagoras the Spartan, Mentor of Rhodes, Socrates of Achaea. The list is endless. Mercenaries, Guns for Hire, Soldiers of Fortune, Private Military Companies, Private Security Contractors, Dirty Deeds, <laughs> Not So Dirt Cheap. History is replete with privatized militaries. Call them what you want. They have been around for a very long time, and they are very likely not going away anytime soon. And like it or not, wars are good, very good for business. Furthermore, history tells us that more people are enslaved and killed by such means as greed, corruption, oppression, and tyranny than by any other means. So choose the red pill, remove your blinders, all of them, and take a good sensory inventory of what you're being told and shown to believe. Because here we go. Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Oconus, The Contractor's Life. Talking from the relatively insulated and bucolic rural foothills of northwestern Washington State. I'm your host, Scott Dresser. Life as a private security contractor in a hostile or a war-torn zone, or as some call it, an austere or a non-permissive environment. Well, it is a mixed bag of blessings. Some good and some not so good. All in all though, private security contracting is much the same as life. It is what you make it. The MENA region, or the Middle East North Africa region. Lands of enchantment, lands of mystery, lands of the old ones and the ancient ones. Myths, legends, folklore, maybe. If you believe what you read in the ancient and the holy texts, then you know that it all centered around what we refer to as the MENA region. That's right, the Mediterranean. And you probably also know that to every legend or myth, there is a base of at least some truth. Thank you everybody for tuning in to another episode of Conus the Contractor's Life. This makes the eighth episode in the third season. Um, don't know how many episodes there will actually be by the end of this season, but hopefully there will be more than ten. Um, I apologize sincerely for all the fans and listeners, subscribers, and followers out there to Oconus the Contractor's Life. It's just been one of those years, but uh, I am uh, earnestly endeavoring to make up for it. So with that said... Uh, going to transition out of the Afghanistan region for now and transition in back to Iraq um, so I left the project with EODT uh, not exactly on my terms 100% but pretty darn close um, I think I've uh, gone into that before uh, for those that don't remember or haven't heard it I will go into that briefly um, 
it, it, it had to do with a supervisor that we had on the ground there um, who pretty much from the moment I met him was like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? I think some of you have probably heard me talk about this guy. I won't mention his name. It really doesn't matter. But he was one of those so many people out there. Some people refer to him as John Wicks or Jason Bournes or, you know, fraudulent, been there, done it kind of thing and wasn't. So he was, uh, he was, as near as we can tell, a Marine. But he was nothing, nowhere near what he pretended to be, what he had in his resume, and what he told everybody. But if you knew anything about what was going on, you could pretty quickly ferret it out that this guy was a fraud. Uh, so I kind of, I tried to go along with the guys and, and just let it go. But the dumb shittery out of this guy's mouth and the vomit that he was spewing just, I, I don't know, a week, two weeks, whatever it was, I just couldn't take it anymore. I kind of made it my mission at one point to just call this guy out, make it absolutely obvious to everybody that this guy was a fraud. He was dangerous to himself. He was dangerous to us. He was dangerous to the client, and he needed to go. Ultimately, he did. But as the saying goes, I ended up taking one for the team. Um, some guys, maybe a lot of the guys remember me for it and they were grateful and thankful in the end. Uh, and that project did, uh, I think they pulled the plug on it like six months later after I left. I kind of knew that was going to happen. I looked around at the guys that were on the ground and I just knew with all the, all the turmoil and everything else, the drama and everything else, it just wasn't going to last. And I knew who was on the other side of the airport. Um, and, and I knew they were gunning for it. Anyway, so uh, that's basically what happened. I mean, there, there's a lot of funny stories. I will come back to this stuff like I've mentioned before. Uh, we will revisit this stuff. It uh, may not be in fine granular uh, format in terms of starting from the beginning and ending properly. But as this stuff comes to me, I will recollect it and tell you some of these uh, stories. Because there's plenty of funny stories um in hindsight they're funny at the time they weren't quite so funny but for a moment at least a moment maybe a few moments or more um, i want to hearken on because this comes up again and, and people still ask about it um you know what are the qualifications what are the things that you need to be a private security contractor oconus or oconus or outside the united states um, in a foreign country well Again, it just depends on the particular project, the particular contract, the client, the end client, and, and the people involved. Um, so, it, it, you know, it, it can range anywhere from depending on where in the world it is to, you know, not much. You know, you just you were in the military or you were a cop, um, you know, nothing special, but you were that. Um, to, you know, you need to have at least six months experience to a year. Um, you know, you just need to have basic proficiency with firearms. Um, and then, uh, so that's at the very far left, okay? So, you know, kind of like from zero to 10. So at the far right side, 
the extreme side, um, you're going to have to have some sort of special operations um, experience. Okay, You will have to be able to prove and document and have people verify that, in fact, you were a member of the special operations forces. Now, now just because you were on that contract doesn't mean that you were a special operations forces person. Doesn't mean you were OGA or anything else, because let's face it, some of us, maybe a lot of us, me included, have worked on contracts, projects, been around, worked with these dudes where they were ODA and or OGA, but the contract of the project wasn't necessarily an ODA nor an OGA contract, but those elements were there. You mixed and mingled with them frequently or daily. Um, you had interactions, whatever you did. Okay, so, um, <laughs> you know, and anybody that's been parts of this can pretty much tell if the dude is lying or if he's fudging or if he's maybe hemorrhaging a little bit out of the mouth, <laughs> you know, saying stuff that isn't quite true. Kind of like um, the guy that was, you know, he wasn't the only supervisor we had that I had there in the Jalalabad region that should not have been there. He should, certainly should not have been a supervisor. Um, but because he was so damn recalcitrant in it and would not, I mean, he just, he was all about trying to prove to everybody that he was special forces that he was uh, Marine Recon. And as one dude said, he's probably also a Navy SEAL, <laughs> okay? Um, and a few other things, who knows? But the qualifications in contracts just varies dramatically. Again, it depends on, is it a standard DOD contract? Is it a standard DOS contract? Is it a ODA or an OGA contract? Okay, those tend to have much higher standards, much, you know, your qualifications, your credentials have to be much higher. And at the very least, somebody has to vouch for you. Now, I know I'm not the only person in this group who's had somebody reach out to them. You, you know, you talk about that call out of left field. It's like, whoa, where'd that come from? Okay, where an email hits your inbox and it's like, I've never heard of this company, never heard of this group. But here they are, they're saying, if you got this email, it's because somebody vouched for you, somebody referred you, somebody recommended you, okay? So that's typically what happens in the ODA, OGA contracting arena field, okay? Yeah, to some extent, sometimes you can kind of apply for it, but if you are, it's probably because you've been asked <laughs> by somebody in that realm to apply for the position they've sent you the notification they've talked with you and now you're just going through the process of elimination which almost always if not always includes a vetting course okay uh one to three weeks typically they're about two weeks and um so, you know for lack of a better term they can be an awful lot of fun but they're very intense and for the most part, everybody there is a professional. And let's, let's, let's be honest here, folks. Most people in the private security sector are not professionals. I don't give a flying hoot what their resume says or how much they brag or how much they chest thump. Um, 
Most people in the private security sector are far from professionals. Just because I've been doing this for 10 years. Okay, great. <laughs> you know, uh, whatever. We all know people that have been doing something for 10 or 20 or 30 years, but they're still no good at it. But they're still there because they haven't done anything to screw up to the point that HR says, boop, here's your ticket, you're out. Um, or they've just, you know, they're very good at butt kissing. They've got friends in the right places. They ain't going anywhere unless they say or do something stupid to piss those people off. Okay. So contracting <coughs> runs the gamut. Even to this day, that hasn't changed. What has changed for the most part is the vast numbers of people that are in the game like there used to be. Okay. So Right around 2015, that's when everybody kind of knew everything was starting to change. I mean, we all started, well, we actually started seeing it before then. We started seeing it, you know, as early as 2008, 2009, and by 2010. But we saw a lot of fluctuations, a lot of changes. But somewhere between 2013 and 2015, you could, all, you could sense, if, if you had any sensibility about you, you could sense there were some big changes coming. Fast forward, we certainly didn't think that they were the changes we're seeing now, <laughs> okay? But be that as it may, and, I, and, if, and if you know somebody that's on these contracts and they like you, you can talk about it, and they'll tell you. And I'm here to tell you, folks, it is by no, no stretch of the imagination. There is just some dumb, stupid, unqualified people that don't have the credentials to be there. It's always been like that, but it was much smaller, um, it, you know, years ago. These days, everybody, CONUS, O'CONUS, you know, friends, brothers, in-laws, talked about that before. So the, the, the things that I sometimes think about when you want to talk about, do you have what it takes to be there? Okay. And let's just be honest. And this is by no means an exhaustive list, okay? Um, and I may not, and I'm not going to be able to hit them all. Um, and I may not be anything more than clear as mud on some of it. But how often, how frequently do you practice what you've been taught, what you've learned, okay? How much have you actually been shown and instructed and trained, and I don't mean by the person that's got a YouTube presence or a TikTok presence or some other social media presence where they claim to be an instructor or a trainer for this because they've got a brown belt or somebody they know has a black belt, okay, or because this person was a cop at this level, this person was in the military, you know, whatever, okay. Um, you, how often do you and how frequently do you practice this stuff? Do you think about it? When you're on your walk, do you think about it and go through it in your mind when you're running or you're taking a drive or you're strolling down the street or you're sitting in your chair and you got some spare time on your hands? I mean, how often do you, when you're working, when you're at play, do you look around and listen and do you see these scenarios? Do you ask yourself and walk yourself through these scenarios, what if? And how might I respond? Not how would you, because you don't know until it actually happens. But how might I respond and go through that? Okay. So there's those kinds of things that you need to look at. You know, that's what professionals do. You got to revisit the stuff. It's, it's not much different than your study material, your study manual, 
you got to go back and revisit the stuff. You got to think about this stuff on a frequent basis. Those are all, you know, at least minor, if not hallmarks and trademarks of true professionals. And I'm not the only one that has said this, but I mean, honestly, in the private security sector, somewhere between 5% and 10% are actually true professionals. The other 90% to 95% are frauds, fakes it until you makes it kind of thing. That's just the way it is. So there are ample things that point to whether you have what it takes. Um, you know, there is no shortage of people out there chest thumping and bragging and taking selfies and just yammering on about a lot of inane muttering BS, okay, trying to upsell themselves. I see quite frequently what I refer to as corporate resumes in the private security industry. And look, if I'm hiring you at a corporate level to be a corporate security person where, and I don't mean, you know, a security guard or a supervisor, but where you're actually in an executive or management position, then yeah, maybe there is something to be said about some aspect of that corporate resume, that corporate America resume that, that we so often hear and see. Otherwise, what I want and what most people that I hang with want is we just want the facts. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Most resumes, especially in the private security industry, should be one to two pages absolute max. Your bio should never be more than one page. But a resume, I've got both a two-page resume and a one-page resume. And that's it. And it's just the facts, ma'am. That's all I need. Because if you're a real recruiter, if you're a real hiring manager, you're going to know. And you're going to look into it. And if you have any questions, you're going to ask me about the questions. And I'm going to be able to answer the question or I'm not. So you're going to know. All this white cake fluffing stuff, you know, five-page resumes, seven-page resumes, where it just goes on ad nauseum into boring-ass detail. Oh, my God. You know, I didn't ask for a salesman. I'm not hiring a salesman. All right? You get what I'm saying. What matters to me, I mean, there's a lot of things that matter to me. I mean, character, integrity, honesty, trust. Trust is paramount. If I can't trust you, nothing else matters. Okay, That goes for working in the field, working in the office, or just you know sitting down and having a beer at a bar. If I can't trust you, nothing else matters. But here's something to think about. If you cannot do a cold bore shot, either with your pistol, your shotgun, or your rifle, while you're sitting in your chair, standing, walking, whatever, and, for example, pull out your pistol, get rounds on target in one second or less, you are not at the true professional level. Okay? you got to be able to do it smoothly. you got to be able to do it swiftly. And you got to be able to get on target and hit the actual target. Okay. Same thing with the rifle. Okay. Same thing with the shotgun. At least one round on target in one second or less. 
whether you're making a 90 degree turn to the left or to the right, you're doing a 180, okay, transitioning, you should be able to get from that rifle to that pistol and get it back on target in about one second, one and a half maybe, okay, and then vice versa, get back. And that, you know, and that just, just barely scratches the surface of the proverbial tip of the iceberg, okay. So, anyway, with that said, um, what it takes to be a private security contractor or CONUS, it takes a lot of stuff. But you should have a combat arms MOS in the military. Okay? You should have extensive, lots of verifiable instruction and training in firearms, in hand-to-hand, in just the basic tactics and strategies of going out there in the field. And just because you were doesn't mean you're a bodyguard. Everybody and anybody can say they're a bodyguard. Well, I'm six foot four, I'm six foot seven, I weigh X number of pounds, and okay, so you're a big beast dude, but that doesn't mean you're a bodyguard. What do you know about personal security? What do you know about personnel security? You what you know, most people really don't know what it takes to be a, a personal security specialist or to be a close protection person or to be an executive protection person there it is there's so much involved from firearms to hand-to-hand to tactics to surveillance to counter surveillance to planning to researching to you know knowing what to say knowing how to drive uh, you know it got it, there's just so much out there okay and you've really got to You've got to know it all, and you've got to be able to do it all. And you've got to be able to do it quickly, thinking on your feet, because sometimes, maybe more than sometimes, nobody's going to be there to show you or tell you. you okay, this is not the time for you to choke or freeze and try to figure it out while you're out there. So, what it takes, I mean, those are, those are the bare essential minimums that it takes, in my opinion, to be an Oconus private security contractor. That said, now I just, you know, again, this just barely scraped the proverbial surface of the iceberg. Uh, at some point, maybe because it comes up, maybe I'll, I'll start writing this stuff out and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll write it out and I'll illustrate it and I'll go into detail so it makes a lot of sense so that you have more ammunition. But basically, in my experience, Somewhere between 50 and 75% of the people that apply for these positions don't belong there. They don't have the qualifications. They don't have the credentials. They shouldn't be doing it. You need to go back to being a plumber, okay, or a road construction dude, or go back to the deliveries, or the high-tech job, or whatever it is that you fancy. All right, so that said, come back down from my pedestal. Get off that for a minute. So... Going to go back to Iraq. That will be in the next episode. Until then, I want to thank you. Thank everyone who's listened to this episode for taking time out of your day, afternoon, or evening to listen to me talk about private security contracting overseas, as well as some of my experiences, occasionally anyway, as a private security contractor here in the States. Thank you to my wife, for whom I owe immeasurable gratitude. And thank you to my family, my friends, and all the people, male and female, 
who have been and still are a part of my life. And remember, folks, it does take a team. The grass is not always greener on the other side. Be careful what you wish for. You might just get it. Stay humble, stay safe, and keep others safe by being aware and staying frosty. And until next time, keep it real. Oconus the Contractor's Life extends a special thank you to music composer Kava Cohen and to Colin Perry of Ninja Tracks for allowing Oconus the Contractor's Life the use of Kava's song, Heavy Clutch, from the music soundtrack to the game Forza Motorsport 7. And also, a big thank you to Andres Rodriguez, who can be found at the Fiverr website for his excellent original music scores.